PulseCast is written and produced by students at SUNY New Pulse. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of SUNY New Pulse. Welcome to PulseCast, an original student-produced podcast from the campus of SUNY New Pulse. This is season four, covering everything from obsessions and cults to near-death experiences and war. That never happened. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we've enjoyed creating. Subscribe for new episodes and topics every semester. Before we begin, we want to make it clear that we do not condone or promote any form of cult or extremist behavior. We understand that the topic of cults can be sensitive and controversial, and we strive to approach it with respect and sensitivity to those who may have been affected by cults in the past. We will be censoring certain sensitive details in order to maintain anonymity. Did you know that religious cults are extremely popular in South Korea? Or that many of them have migrated here to the U.S., including the one we will be focusing on in this episode of Losing My Religion, a podcast that focuses on educating and informing people on religious cults that operate all around us, specifically one located near SUNY New Paltz in the Hudson Valley. Our first interview today is with the current SUNY New Paltz student who was recruited by a religious cult on campus. I was a member of a cult for about two years and a half. I left in March of last year. I started when I was in my first year in college. So I was walking around campus, specifically in the atrium. I was preached to by these two women that were very well dressed, but I was with my roommate at the time. When they preached to me, she was telling me to not do the Bible study that they were offering me, and that it was kind of weird, so she influenced me not to do it. The second time, I was by myself, walking in the atrium, again, in the same exact location. These two other women came up to me and preached to me about God the Mother and doing a Bible study. And because I was by myself this time, I did the Bible study because I thought it was a sign from God, and I absolutely loved it. My group leader at the time, me and her were doing Bible studies for about a whole week. It felt like family. Within the first week, they gained my trust which is pretty bizarre to hear. The first Bible study that we did, it was about four hours long and she followed me to the dining hall. I instantly felt a connection with her for some reason and I think they're just good at manipulating people in that way and making you feel like family. There was one time or a couple times that we all walked to Poughkeepsie by foot, which is a three hour walk in order to worship. That's an example of how good they are with manipulating people and brainwashing you into believing that this is true God. Even though I didn't 100% believe in this person, I felt like I needed to, that's why I did that walk. began my work as an anti-cult activist and community organizer in 1982. Rick Allen Ross is a renowned cult expert and deprogrammer. Our student interviewer interviewed Rick Ross about the classifications and beliefs of cults, as well as how to navigate life after leaving one. 
My grandmother's nursing home, the paid professional staff, was covertly infiltrated by a very strange religious group that was targeting the elderly. And so in response to that, I began to fight against groups called cults. That led to working at a social service agency and also an educational bureau. Today, I'm the founder and executive director of the Cult Education Institute, which is a very large online library free to the public. And also, I testify as an expert witness in court cases involving destructive cults and other controversial and authoritarian groups. I've been qualified, accepted, and testified in 11 states, including United States federal court. And my work also includes doing interventions to help people leave cults. For example, a spouse is concerned, mothers, fathers are concerned about their child involved in a destructive cult. And I have been involved in over 500 interventions since the 80s across the United States and around the world. There is a nucleus for a definition of a destructive cult, and that is three core characteristics. Number one, there's this absolute totalitarian leader who has no meaningful uh, accountability, who is the defining element and driving force of the group. And that leader becomes an object of worship. Second, that leader uses coercive persuasion and various influence techniques knowingly to break people down, change them, and dominate them, and essentially garner undue influence over them. Subsequently, the third criteria is that the leader does harm. My name is Jordan Hatfield, and I run the YouTube channel called Great Light Studios, which wasn't originally created to deal so specifically with the but over the past couple of years, a large portion of my time in creating content has been centered around doing interviews with former members and producing videos that counteract some of their teachings and their doctrines just to kind of help people come out or to have information about what this group is, what they teach, and where I feel that they are inaccurate and dangerous. The cult our student interviewer is an ex-member of started in 1964 and has over 3 million members, making up 7,500 churches in 175 countries. They believe in this man called which they believe is second coming Christ. They believe that their leader, Mother God, is literally God. And they believe that only their church is the one and only true Christian church, and all other Christian churches are lost. They're bringing their people to utter damnation for eternity. And they define that by saying, look, we do the Passover. We have this Passover observance that we do from the Bible. And because we do this, and because of our beliefs regarding certain holidays and practices, we are the only true church on the face of the earth. The things taught over and over again disagree pretty starkly with many of the teachings. There's also things like he would make pretty specific prophecies about the end of the world that would not come true. And so there's things like that that they have decided to remove from his writings. 
I think very obviously from my perspective because they, they don't want members to see that and they don't want members to have to think about and question it. I think it's important for everybody to understand this is not about beliefs. This is not about what a group believes. It's about how they behave. And the behaves badly. They hurt people. They disrupt marriages. They cause couples to divorce. They cause people to become isolated from their family. They take a lot of money from people and make it so that that person might not pay their bills, their credit cards, they might go bankrupt. I think it's important for people to understand this is not about beliefs, it's about behavior, and it's about hurting people. And it's not just a religious kind of thing, because there are many groups that are based on politics, philosophy, exercise, martial arts, meditation, or even a multi-level marketing scheme. It isn't about what the group believes, it's about its behavior. I recently was involved in an intervention to try and get someone out, and the guy was a college graduate. He worked for a major Fortune 500 company. He earned more than six figures. He was a successful guy, very smart, and yet he got sucked in. I would say people are tricked and then trapped. These groups are very deceptive. The way they first approach you, on the basis of, hey, you know, we are a church, we're Christians, we study the Bible. That all sounds very good, and it has currency in our culture. That isn't what they're really all about. So when I first came in to the cult, the first thing that I saw was this big-ass picture of this Korean woman on the wall, and I wasn't necessarily told who she was until like a month after. I realized that they all actually pray and follow this woman in Korea that they believe to be God. The reason that they believe this is because this man named Christ An Sang Hoom, or Second Coming Christ, he came to this earth during wartime in Korea and he was preaching to the lost children about Mother God and how he's Second Coming Christ and recruiting people. And that's how it all started. These people have loads and loads of money, that's how they're able to build all these different churches around the world. But every year, they're earning millions and millions of dollars. When I was speaking to Rick Ross, he was telling me, in his opinion, he believes that Pastor which is the main pastor here in New Windsor, he, of course, is extremely rich, and the church itself is probably laundering money under other businesses. And, you know, the government can't really do much about that because, you know, freedom of religion, they can say that it's just a religion that they follow, and they have to accept that. And it's the same thing here in New Paltz. When I made that report, nothing was really done because they can't kick out people that are just preaching their religion on campus. It's all about money and power because they are just hauling in millions of dollars a year in the United States. And I strongly suspect that that money is being laundered into privately owned businesses by pastor in New Jersey. He has his big church in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And also I think that some of that money is filtering back to Mother God in Korea. I mean, this is really about money. There was this one time that I vividly remember. I was, I guess my spirit was low, as they might say when, when you're going through something. And they took me to to talk to him in person and 
I actually confronted him about that. You know, sometimes I feel like it might be a business or I, I saw that online and he was gaslighting me and actually made me cry. And then he just started going off on me. And there were also a couple times when I moved around a lot, so I would go to other branches in New York. And when I came back to the one in New Windsor, he would look at me funny sometimes. Because I think he suspected that I, I knew what was really going on. But he just made me confused that day. The 10%, it's basically a Bible study that we do. It's called the Law of Tide. And in the Bible, other religions also believe in this, but they take it to a different level. Um, you're supposed to give 10% of your earnings to God in the form of money, and that's every member. And I think that's why they have such a big fortune. Also, there's three services during, during Saturday service. You're supposed to give like a couple dollars for each service on top of the 10% that you give. And then there's these collections that they have. You'll be more blessed if you give more money to donate for other churches to be built in different areas around the world. You're supposed to preach to people very frequently. Once we save 144,000 people on this planet and seven billion are preached the truth of God the Mother, that's when second coming Christ will come back to this planet and the world will end. And the people that believe in God the Mother will go to heaven and the people that didn't will go to hell. So that's why you're required to preach because everybody just really wants this second coming Christ or Christ on Sung Home to come and they want to go to heaven. Like when you're in there, it is kind of crazy when you listen to the conversations from afar, because we all talk about, like, I want to go to heaven so badly, like, I don't want to be in this human body anymore. So we kind of sound suicidal, but <laughs> that's just the idea that we all have. When I was in there, I hated preaching. Out of the five of us from New Paltz, I was the one that was least likely to preach, because it was just an embarrassing process for me. Imagine not really believing in this God, but being forced to preach about it when you don't believe it. You know, I don't want to tell somebody something that isn't right and bring them into something that I don't even believe in. So it was a very uncomfortable experience for me. In 2020, I was living in Southside with three other students that were part of the cult. And around December, two of the members wanted to go back to the city because it was still during COVID time and we were taking online classes. But I was the only person within that group that didn't have a place to go to because of my family situation. So me and this other girl found this really cheap Airbnb in Brooklyn. During that time, I was transferred over to a Brooklyn church because they have branches in each borough. That was my favorite church. I think it's because it felt normal to me. Both of the group leaders that were there, they made me feel very comfortable, they made me feel at home, and it was also a smaller church. The church here in New Windsor is like a military base, and they have all these different branches around the area, and this was one branch that I really liked. During that time, of course, I had to keep service, we would keep Saturday service, Tuesday service. I was told to, of course, preach whenever I saw somebody that I think would be willing to come. So I would preach to a lot of my coworkers where I work. They love to preach on different college campuses. I remember them telling me that they actually got banned from Marist College because Marist is a private campus. They got banned for preaching, but here, since it's a public campus, they can come whenever they want and preach to students. They'll literally go anywhere that they have access to. They'll come in here into the library. This is where I actually did some Bible studies when I was in the cult. Uh, they like to preach in the atrium, wherever there's a lot of traffic, and, and malls. I remember going to malls very frequently to preach. Sometimes they hold up signs. They love going to the city because the city has a very high population of people walking around 24-7. 
it all really comes down to a performance. It's a massive, burdensome, heavy performance. Your relationship with God is 100% contingent on you putting in your time, clocking in at work. If you do everything you're supposed to do, you do it accurately, then you get the paycheck of forgiveness of sins and salvation and all that. This group has been known to pursue legal action against those who attempt to spread the truth about them. Education is important, and then having the information online is important. And Michelle Kalan, who's been sued by she knows that. Michelle Kalan is kind of like this incredible, strong woman warrior that has taken on And it's been rough. I've talked to Michelle. It's been rough. But people like Michelle is what keeps these groups from just having their own way with people indefinitely, indiscriminately, and that's what it takes. We get a lot of pretty angry members that come into the comments of the videos. Honestly, I've learned that 99% of the time, although I would love to engage an intelligent and respectful dialogue with these members, and very often even if they're wanting to comment and share their thoughts about what something I've said or former member has said in one of our videos, I have an open invitation of members to come onto a video and just talk with us and share what do you think about what we've said and why do you disagree with it. I've learned that most members that comment, the majority of the time, they're just in a, a place of mind where they're angry and they're reactionary in that they're not able to really listen to the things I've said in the video. They just want to blurt out the indoctrination in them. It can be very difficult to leave. It depends on the group. If the group is a very destructive group, there may be a lot of trauma associated with the person's involvement in the group. How long were they in the group? How bad was the group? Those are determinations that really matter in regards to recovery. In my experience, the longer a person is in a group, the longer it takes to recover. That can be complicated by how traumatic their experience was. And what I would like people to know is that being in a destructive cult is like being trapped in an abusive controlling relationship. Initially, the person who is the abuser, the controller, is very loving. You feel like you are on a honeymoon and you believe in that person. You love that person. You would die for that person. But gradually, you are diminished, you are gaslit, you are chipped away at until you doubt your own intelligence, you doubt your own integrity, and you basically become dependent upon this abusive controlling partner. I wanted to leave the whole time that I was in there because like I said before, I was very miserable. But the final straw occurred Last year in 2022, it was Sabbath day, which is Saturday service for them. But that day I just felt really off and I was like crying in a corner. <laughs> My group leader, she came up to me and asked me, what's the issue? And you know, when you're overwhelmed with emotions, you can't really make out what your feelings are or what you're trying to say. So she pulled me into a room and I still couldn't get the words out. And from there, she just went off on me and was using the things that I told her 
personally about me, against me during the situation, kind of like gaslighting me, making me feel like I shouldn't feel this way and that it's stupid for me to not believe in God the mother or this woman in Korea that they believe to be God. And it's the reason why I'm struggling in my faith and that I'm lazy. I don't do enough Bible studies. I don't like to study. And that's why my faith is so low. And then she was using my personal issues with my own mother. I don't have a good relationship with her. And she was saying that the reason you don't believe in or God the mother, it's because of your own mom. You don't have a good relationship with her. So that's probably why it's so hard for you to understand that she's true God. But she didn't say it the way I'm saying it now. She said it very aggressively. Like, it felt like... I was in a movie. <laughs> Imagine you're sitting in front of a desk and there's this religious group leader in front of you screaming at you and pointing at you, telling you that you're wrong and that you're stupid for not believing in their religion. After that experience, when I went back to my dorm, I was like, if true God was in that church, then that wouldn't have ever happened. It just came to me. The first few months were really hard and it's still kind of hard because I look back and this might sound crazy to some people but I sometimes am not sure if it was the right decision for me to leave just because of how much they brainwashed me but I am a lot happier I'm not miserable anymore I got into a relationship for the first time which you're not supposed to do in the cult which has made me very happy I got back into photography and videography which I loved before I got into this I just feel a lot freer since I left there's definitely some things that I struggle with here and there, but I know it's gonna take me some time. And, and that's the thing, I was only in there for two years and a half, so I can only imagine being born into this and then leaving and having to deal with all that weight. The crucial piece in recovery is education and unpacking your experience. Whatever emotions you're feeling, whatever anger, it's perfectly fine. That makes 100% sense why you would feel that way. Don't beat yourself up for wherever you're at. The guilt and whatever else might come along with that, you're doing nothing wrong. You're right where you need to be, one step at a time, in whatever direction you choose to get. I know that whatever direction you choose to go, things will get better, things will get easier, and you will be able to look back on it, and this thing won't have the power over you that it might now. attempted to contact the local branch of this group, but did not receive a response to the statement on whether or not they consider their group to be a cult. Thank you to Rick Allen Ross and Jordan Hatfield for meeting with us to shed light on the dangers of cults and give hope to the survivors out there. We also would like to thank our student interviewer and ex-member for allowing us to help tell her story and prevent this from happening to anyone else at SUNY New Paltz.
This episode of PulseCast was brought to you by SUNY New Pulse's DMJ333's podcasting class. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating. Special thanks to Ed and Gina Carroll for their generous support. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes every semester.